645, and again at 1130 on 990 Ave Maria Radio. 990 WDEO, Ypsilanti, Detroit, W300CO Dexter, and Ave Maria Radio Station, and on the net at AveMariaRadio.net. Christian in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Hey, good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Letting you know we've got another hour talking about the things that matter most. How about Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well? It's one of the most memorable passages uh, in the New Testament. And uh, not only do we see Jesus, uh, in a way, giving us a pattern for communicating the faith, we actually see the extraordinary response of the woman who then went back to her village and became an evangelist uh, to her uh your own community there. That's coming up with Peggy Stanton. Also coming up, we'll have uh, uh, Dr. Jay Richards. We are going to be looking at a Christian approach to fasting. Now, we're in Lent, so we know fasting is a penitential discipline, and Jesus expects us to fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. But we also know that fasting has benefits for our own health. It can help heal the body while feeding the soul. So Jay and I will be talking not only about fasting as a penitential discipline related to Lent, but also fasting as a way, again, of uh, strengthening our own bodies. But first, let's get to today's headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Friday, March 10th. It's the Feast of St. John Olivet. Today's news brought to you by Visiting Angels, providing loving care and assistance for seniors in need at visitingangels.com. Participants in the German Synodal Way have voted overwhelmingly in favor of a document urging German bishops to permit same-sex blessings. The document, officially allowing blessing ceremonies in the diocese for couples who love each other but to whom sacramental marriage is not accessible or who do not see themselves at a point of entering into a sacramental marriage. President Biden telling the nation about the better-than-expected jobs report. I think we got a good jobs report. I'm happy to report that our economy has created over 300,000 new jobs last month. The president went on to criticize House Republicans over their demands to cut spending to increase the debt limit. He called on House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to release a budget plan. A group of conservative House Republicans are pushing back against the president's $6.9 trillion budget. His budget makes his priorities clear. His administration is at war with the American people's freedom and prosperity. Congressman Chip Roy of Texas is a member of the House Freedom Caucus. They want to shrink Washington by tossing out both the student loan bailout and the expansion of the IRS. They also want to recoup all the unused COVID funds. U.S. weapons captured in Ukraine are being sent to Iran by Russia. 
That according to a CNN report that says Russian forces have been seizing U.S. and NATO-supplied weapons left behind on the battlefields and then flying them to Iran to be dismantled and analyzed so the Iranian military can make their own version of the weapons. The report says it's an effort by Russia to maintain Iranian support for the war in Ukraine. Daylight saving times returns this weekend. Clocks will need to spring forward in most of the U.S. at 2 a.m. on Sunday. From your Ave Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, and it's time for our weekly look at this uh, Sunday's Gospel reading. It's the famous passage of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. Uh, let me... Usually I read the uh, the gospel reading. This is very long, and I want to make sure I have enough time to talk with Peggy Stanton uh, on how the catechism treats this passage. So I'm just going to summarize it to begin with. Okay, uh, Jesus begins a journey from Judea back north to Galilee. It's a walk of about two and a half days. And he decides to go through Samaria. Now along the way, he's resting at Jacob's well. And a Samaritan woman comes along uh, to draw water. It's at midday. And then he initiates a conversation with her. Uh, very countercultural thing to do, by the way. And he leads her on a journey of faith to recognize him. When she recognizes him, she goes back to her village and becomes an evangelist to her fellow villagers. And through her, they come to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Well, to help us unpack this wonderful gospel reading, we've got Peggy Stanton, author of From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta, ABC News' first female Washington correspondent. We hear her regularly on Ave Maria Radio with her Malta Minute with the Catechism. And Peggy, good to have you back. Thank you, Al. It's always uh, great to go over these gospels with you. Yeah. Well, let's let's go. Uh, I think that uh, this is, it was a long reading. I thought I'd paraphrase it, and we can go right to what the Catechism is saying. Yeah, well, the Catechism brings in an awful lot of elements. I mean, there, as you say, it's a very it's a long gospel, and uh, it touches on a lot of our values and beliefs and and uh, what our Lord is preaching in the gospel overall, but he's um, one thing that is interesting is that <clears throat> pointed out by uh, Professor John Bergsma is that um, that all the nuptial references are in this um, gospel. Had you thought of that? No, I don't. I don't think that's occurred to me. Although, on second thought, you, you, certainly you have to deal with uh, the the richness of the environment. You, you've got the, the living water. You have uh, a fallen woman. Uh, you have the presence of the Savior. You have the marital the the question about uh, your husband, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, you, actually, you don't have a husband. You've had many. So I, I I've never. See it though as a marital passage, but go ahead. Or have you ever thought of uh, Jesus in the role of the bridegroom? Not in this uh, passage, but it makes sense. No, 
Yeah, the yeah. bridegroom of Israel is what the way Professor uh, Bergsman refers to him, because uh, one of the things I did not know this uh, that this is where men met, went to the well and met their wives, hmm. uh, and uh, so while. It, uh, we're thinking of, um, this is in a very large sense, as when we say the bridegroom of Israel, because Samaria, as you know, had, um, you know, broken off from uh, the, the Israelites, and generally they were from the northern area and had mixed you know, they were the poor of the northern area, and then they had been conquered by, you know, four, five foreign nations and intermarried. And then they came back to um, to worshiping Yahweh, but they didn't do it as uh, fully with the covenant as they should have. So they were still have strayed, so that's in the sense that Berksma um calls him the bridegroom of Israel because he in a sense woos her she becomes convinced that he is not only a prophet and the messiah but he's the savior of the world and then she tells the townspeople and they too um become convinced so but in the catechism uh, let's see paragraph 544 um it, it, it talks about uh, the fact that he that it, the kingdom belongs to the poor, and so why does that reference this? Well, it does because, after all, he's talking to a poor woman who is an outcast from her people because she's had so many husbands. Um, so it says here, the kingdom belongs to the poor and lowly, which means those who have accepted it with humble hearts. Jesus is sent to preach good news to the poor. He declares them blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To them, the little ones, the Father is pleased to reveal what remains hidden from the wise and the learned. And here we note again uh, that this is Jesus' most explicit admission in the gospel of his messiahship to this poor woman who's an outcast mm -hmm. as well yeah. yeah isn't that interesting yeah yeah he, yeah he is he sh yeah go ahead no I, I he is very clear uh he is again uh, make he, he usually he as his messiah ship is understated there's even right. something in the history of new testament studies called the messianic secret in the gospel of mark where jesus seems to be uh hiding his uh -huh. messianic status so uh -huh. this, it makes us even uh that much more noticeable uh yes he says i am he yeah you know? yeah so um, yeah. he um he shares the life of the poor from the cradle to the cross he experiences hunger thirst and privation jesus identifies himself with the poor of every kind and makes active love toward them the condition for entering his kingdom paragraph 545 uh points out that jesus invites sinners to the table of the kingdom i came not to call the righteous but sinners he invites them to that conversion 
without which one cannot enter the kingdom, which shows them in word and deed his Father's boundless mercy for them, and the recounts the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The supreme proof of his love will be the sacrifice of his own life for the forgiveness of sins. Mm. Paragraph 694 uh, talks about the symbolism of water signifying the Holy Spirit's action in baptism since after the invocation of the Holy Spirit, it becomes the efficacious sacramental sign of new birth. And just as the gestation of our first birth took place in water, so water of baptism truly signifies that our birth into divine life is given to us in the Holy Spirit. As by one Spirit we were all baptized, so we are also made to drink of one Spirit. Thus the Spirit is also personally the living water welling up from Christ crucified as its source and welling up in us to eternal life. And it, and I think we should note here that this is uh, where, you know, the Trinity comes into view in the sense that um, the Spirit is talked about and the, and the Spirit is the living water. Right, right. Um, uh, yeah, yes, it's, it's it's a it's a wonderfully rich passage, and um, Jesus here, uh, you point out in paragraph seven twenty eight, that Jesus has not revealed the Holy Spirit fully until mm-hmm. He Himself has been glorified through His death and resurrection. This, of course, later on in the Gospel of John becomes uh, the object of a good deal of instruction uh, during mm-hmm. during the, uh, the the extended. Uh, Last Supper instruction that he gives the apostles, mm-hmm. uh, where he right. talks about this: the Holy Spirit uh, cannot come unless I go away. But um, yeah, he he does again in the paragraph seven twenty eight. He points out though that the Spirit uh, is. It's almost as though the Spirit is itself a revelation that is waiting to come. Uh, we know that the Spirit's been active. We, you know, the Spirit has, at his, mm-hmm. Jesus' baptism, the Spirit is, is very clear. Here, John 4, he's talking about the Spirit as living water. So it's not as though the Spirit isn't active, but mm-hmm. you do get the impression that there's something much bigger to come with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You wonder, have you ever thought why um, the Trinity waits so long to be fully revealed? Because because we couldn't handle it, or what? Why do you think? I don't know. It, it, this is this is a question that comes up w- with different aspects of. Um, salvation history why what's what's the reason for the later disclosure of the trinity so we have even in genesis we've got the use of the plural when god talks about creating uh mm-hmm. created man, we created man in our image so you've got this plurality uh in the godhead mm-hmm. right, right there in genesis 1 but it's it's, right. it's somewhat obscure and uh it certainly isn't what we see 
in the New Testament where we have these Trinitarian formulas used a number of times. Um, mm-hmm. And why, why there's progressive revelation like that, I don't know. I mean, I think this is one of the mysteries of God's superintendence of history. He has a plan. And he's working it out. He's a long-term planner. He has, you know, <laughs> he he has he's the original strategic plan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a, he has a, there's a reason why this becomes clearer as time goes on. I mean, it's it's with salvation history itself, we see it as a series of covenants, but the covenants are start out with Adam and Eve between uh, a couple, and then it moves to Noah's family, which is now a family, which is now to... Then next one comes with Abraham, where you've got a tribe, and then you go to Moses, and now the covenant has to do with a nation. And then it goes to David, and now the covenant is with an empire. And then we have the promise of the new covenant, which is universal. Uh, So you have this expanding circle around those God's willing to make covenant with. But exactly why that it happens that way, I don't know. <laughs> of, course, of course, in the beginning, he only had a couple. Right. right. <laughs> he, had to, he had to expand the human race. Yeah, as they multiplied <laughs> and filled the earth. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, I think he... he, he prepares us. I think he prepares us for certain events that are going to happen, and his preparation can take place over a thousand years. Sure. Because <laughs> that, it means so little to him, and so much to us, but so a thousand, what is the line of a, a thousand years is like one year to him. Yes, yeah. Yeah, the relationship between time and eternity, between God and the world, is deeply mysterious. Peggy, we're out of time, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> well, well, we'll pick it up next week. All right. Thanks much. Okay. Thank Pe- you. Bye. Peggy Stanton, as we talk about this Sunday's Gospel reading, The Woman at the Well, John Chapter 4. Another year has come and gone. And whether you like it or not, Uncle Sam requires you to make an accounting. Perhaps it's time to call Myler and Zipka. They work with you to legally minimize your tax bill and identify ways to reduce future taxes. Eliminate the nagging feeling that you're paying more taxes than you need to. Call Ken Zipka today at 734-930-5500. Myler and Zipka. Integrity, excellent value, and people dedicated to a long-term relationship. 734-930-5500. The National Eucharistic Congress is teaming up with Catholic Men's Leadership Alliance to bring you a free online Linton event for men. Join Dr. Edward Street, Bishop Andrew Cousins, and John Michael Lucido. Hi, my name is Dr. Edward Sree, and I'm excited to be a part of this men's conference. Am I taking those next steps to following Jesus, to encountering his love and his mercy and being transformed as a man of God? Sign up today for the Heroic Men Summit at HeroicMen.com. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schumler, brother of Terry Schiavo. In 2005, my sister experienced a brain injury, leaving her unable to speak for herself and make her own decisions regarding medical care. Since she had not established a health care agent by creating a health care durable power of attorney, the courts decided to leave the medical decisions to Michael, Terry's husband. 
Because of this, Michael was able to remove Terry's food and water, dehydrating and starving her to death by court order. There are many reasons why someone may need a feeding tube, such as an illness or injury, that leaves a patient with difficulty swallowing. Usually, feeding tubes are short-term solutions until the patient can swallow on their own. St. Pope John Paul II clarified that food and water by tube is basic care owed to patients and not a medical act. We never know when you or a loved one may be faced with an injury. I urge you to have a conversation with your family and to identify a health care agent to make sure your life wishes are known and to take the step of finalizing a health care power of attorney. It could very well save your lives. This Medical Moment, brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. How is the priestly prayer of Jesus unique in the economy of salvation? According to the Catholic Catechism, it is unique because it reveals the ever-present prayer of Jesus and at the same time contains what Jesus teaches us about our prayer to our Father. As Jesus fulfills his Father's plan of love, he gives us a glimpse of the depth of his filial prayer when he agonizes in the garden, Abba, Not my will, but thine. His last words on the cross exhibit prayer and gift of self as one when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Later, with a loud cry, he surrenders his spirit. All the troubles for all times, states the catechism of humanity enslaved by sin and death. All the petitions and intercessions of salvation history are summed up in this cry of the incarnate word. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. We're in the season of Lent, and of course, one of the uh, practices associated with Lent is the practice of uh, fasting. And uh, my guest, Dr. Jay Richards, has just written uh, a book which is getting wonderful reviews and, and enthusiasm uh, building around. In fact, in the last week, I've had three different people uh, talk to me about it. Uh, Jay has been with us before on a variety of topics. Uh, he's the author of many books. Um, most recently, it's East, excuse me, Eat Fast, Feast, Heal Your Body While Feeding Your Soul. It's a Christian guide to fasting. He's assistant research professor in the School of Business and Economics at the Catholic University of America. He's executive editor of The Stream and a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute. Jay, good to have you back here. Thanks. Thanks so much, Al. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm, I didn't think you would write a book like this, so tell me why. <laughs> 
<laughs> Honestly, fasting is uh, something that I've always struggled with. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a convert. My family and I, we became Catholic about 11 years ago. And yep. I was sort of relieved to discover that the fasting that we have is, you know, mostly vestigial. I mean, we fast for an hour before Mass. We eat a little less on uh, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday right. and, you know, these sorts of things. And so I was sort of glad because every time I'd ever tried to fast, it had been torturous. But I've always been interested in health and diet and fitness. Mm-hmm. And I kind of stumbled into this, honestly. I had a medical procedure I had to have done some years ago where I couldn't eat for 36 hours. And I had been eating a really low-carb diet at the time. And so I, I went to work out at the end of this 36-hour period and felt incredibly lucid. My mind was clear. My body felt strong yeah. and energetic. And so I did, did what anybody did. I Googled, okay, effects of fasting and found that there are all these research articles. In fact, there are hundreds continually streaming about the, the physical benefits of fasting, and it's, you know, in the last couple of years, even kind of become a fashionable thing to do. And that's what got me sort of just studying this on my own, yeah. writing articles about it and realizing, well, one, all the things I thought I knew about fasting were wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. standard American diet is what makes it so difficult. And I, we dropped something the church had been doing for most of its history, and I think to our detriment. Mm. So let's talk about that then. Uh, how and why uh, are Christians... Uh fasting i mean what we used to fast it used to be part of our discipline like you say rarely do we see people um spend time fasting these days but uh, why uh, did we used to fast well we used to fast primarily because it was following jesus example i mean yeah. early christians all knew jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert right before his earthly ministry and as early as ad 110 in the didache it actually commands christians to fast every Wednesday and Friday. And that was the pattern for hundreds of years. Christians, basically, every Wednesday and Friday was a fasting day. Sunday was a mini-feast. And then over a period of centuries, we developed these roughly 40-day fasting seasons before Christmas and Easter. Again, Mm -hmm. patterned after Jesus' fasting. That didn't always mean, of course, 40-hour or 40-day water fast, but these were really serious fasts. And most Western Christians, including most Catholics, um, what we do is just a, really a diminished vestigial element of what was done for so long. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between uh, uh, fasting and abstaining? Well, the difference, so abstaining just basically means you restrict either the amount of food that you eat or uh, the type of food you eat. And so in a secondary sense, we call that fasting. But the primary meaning of the word has always just meant not eating for some period okay. of time. In fact, it's still in our English language. That's why we call that first meal of the day breakfast. It's breaking Break our the fast. fast. Yeah. yeah, and so that's so I'd sort of say, look, let's make sure we retain that primary definition of the word. And then the second definition, more broadly, would be abstaining from certain kinds of food. And let's use other words if we're talking about, you know, rather than saying we're going to fast from Facebook or something, let's just say we're going to abstain from it. <laughs> okay. Um, did when we when fasting was common in in Christian circles, uh, was there anything? Um, I mean, when, was it simply we don't eat or drink? It was all. It was virtually initially, and for a long time, it was essentially don't eat food. And then you know they didn't have blenders, so it didn't occur to them to drink things except for wine. And yeah. so essentially, these were water only fasts. Okay. Never really been dry fast mm-hmm. in the Christian tradition. So certainly, water. Uh, unlike Muslims during Ramadan, Christians always drink water. Mm-hmm. But over time. Okay. 
I would call it the kind of death of a thousand dispensations in which maybe one one bishop would make exceptions for the difficulties. And so you'd get these little so-called collocations, which are basically vegetables you would eat um, after after sundown. And then, you know, as things these kind of things happen, you know, a local dispensation tends to get uh, nationalized and internationalized, universalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, over a period of centuries, the fast, they ended up either sort of arbitrary or, you know, the, the eating fish on Fridays, only eating fish on Fridays, for instance, which we do during Lent. That made sense as a sacrifice at a particular time in history. But, you know, when you can eat cheese pizza and lobster bisque on Fridays, <laughs> the connection of that and sacrifice is not exactly right. obvious. Right, right, right. So did the reason we quit fasting was the death of a thousand dispensations, as you say. Is that why we, we got away from it? It is. It's a, I'd say a death of a thousand dispensations, the sort of changing historical significance of things. So the fish thing was, in fact, a sacrifice at one point. You know, if you're a shepherd inland somewhere away from water, then it, to be told you can't eat fish basically meant you don't eat any meat or animal flesh on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, the first thing. But really, also, I'm convinced that fasting is just much, much harder for us now because of the so-called standard American diet, which is very, very high in sugar, very high in refined carbohydrates, which turn to sugar almost immediately when they go into our bodies. And then the grazing that we do, very often because we're told we're supposed to do it for our health. We eat, you know, five, six, seven times a day. That combination of the grazing habit plus a highly sugar-rich diet just actually makes long fats almost impossible for people. And that's why when they try it, they try it once, feel terrible, don't see how it can bring them closer to God, and they never try it again. Talk to me a little more about this, the standard American diet with the high sugars and high carbs that turn quickly to sugar. Um, why, why is that a problem? It's a problem because we have our bodies, the way God designed us, have two metabolic systems. You could think of it in that way, two pathways. Our bodies can use sugar for fuel really well. But we can also use fat for fuel. The problem is, is that if you've got sugar or sugar uh, becoming foods going in very frequently, so our very high carbohydrate diet, our bodies are going to preferentially choose the sugar, and so that's gonna, our body every four hours is going to be basically saying, "Look, you got to give me more. I'm starving." Doing this, ironically, over decades and decades, actually causes our the part of our system that actually can convert uh, fats to something called ketones not to work well. And so our body can actually store lots of food energy as fat, but then not actually be able to use it. Really? In the period, you know, previous periods, people were so-called metabolically flexible. In other words, they were eating some of the time, and usually it wasn't really high sugar. And then they were actually fasting some of the time. And when you fast for very long, if you go, say, 36 hours without eating, you quickly deplete all the, the sugars that are in your system, and your liver starts producing ketones from fat, either your dietary fat or the fat on your body. And when your body's producing ketones, it sort of levels out your blood sugar, it levels out your insulin levels, and you feel a kind of steadiness that you don't feel if you're just relying on the sugar part of your metabolism. And it's really that steadiness, I'm convinced, that made our forebears able to fast for long periods of time and makes it almost impossible for us to be able to do it. So how do you make the transition so that you begin using fat for fuel instead of uh, sugar and carbs? There's basically two known ways to do this. One is really hard, and one is not that hard. The, the hard way is just not to eat for 36 hours okay. or maybe up to three days. Um, I don't advise that for people that haven't tried it. The other way is to eat a so-called ketogenic diet, which just means really high, most of your calories in the form of natural fats, moderate amount of protein, and very 
small amounts of carbohydrates, in fact, only from green vegetables. If you do that for about three days, you're still getting all the food you need, you're getting the nutrients you need, but your body uses up the sugar that it has in its system, and then it starts producing these ketones. And so actually in the book, which I've sort of mapped out in a six-week plan that you can do over Lent, the first week I just advise people just start by eating ketogenically so that then in the second week when you start narrowing the time window when you when you eat, uh, you're going to experience it completely differently, and it's not nearly as diff- difficult as it would be if you just suddenly decided to do a three-day fast. Hmm. Well, that's fascinating. We've been talking here about the health benefits of, of fasting. Um, what about uh, the spiritual benefits? The spiritual benefits, any church father you read will tell you uh, that essentially if you want to have powerful prayer, you need to be fasting. If you want to engage in successful spiritual warfare, you need to be fasting. Just as feasts bring the body of Christ together, so they were convinced that fasts bring the body of Christ together. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, you know, the, the story most vivid in Scripture is, um, is at the end of Daniel, when Daniel is praying under, the, under King Cyrus for you know, his, his, his people, and he's praying really hard, and nothing seems to be working, and so he decides to just fast and eat some vegetables for three weeks, so it's really kind of an intense abstinence. And then at the end of a three-week period, an angel comes to him and says, well, I tried to get here three weeks ago, but a, a, the demon in charge of the territory right. basically mm-hmm. wouldn't, let me, wouldn't let me go. And so finally, after three weeks of your intense prayer, praying and fasting, St. Michael the Archangel showed up, and he freed me, and I was able to come to you. So, I mean, it's crazy, but this idea that fasting and prayer together uh, could give us this capacity, yeah. you know, this ability yeah. to actually affect things in the in the nether regions, in the heavens. Yeah. It's a, a sort of astonishing thing, but this is what all the church fathers said, that there's just something about praying and fasting together. Um, do, uh, do other world religions... Uh, link prayer and fasting they do and in fact fasting especially for muslims is a big deal and so lots of really faithful muslims actually fast two days a week i think it's monday and thursday following uh the tradition for muhammad but then all muslims are supposed to fast during the month of ramadan and that fast is actually a dry fast and it just lasts from sunrise to sunset um and but think about not only not eating but um, I, you know, not even drinking water, for instance. And so uh, the interesting thing is when I was doing the research on this book, there are actually some journals that follow the physical effects of fasting that are written in English in, in Muslim countries. It was very helpful. But they always, of course, connect prayer and fasting. Uh, Buddhists in their own way do this. Hindus in their own way do this. And Jews also do this. So basically every major religion has fasting as a part of its spiritual practice, but it's really in Christianity in some ways that it was the most developed. It's built and structured into the liturgical year. Yeah. And yeah. it was just, I mean, utterly universal among early Christians. Now, why, do you, why do you think it's it's kind of, it sounds as though it's, it's kind of it's part of the natural religious impulse that humans have? I'm just curious why that might be the case, but we have a break coming up. We'll take a break. We'll come back. I'll re-ask that question. And then I'd like you to walk me uh, through uh, the weeks that you've got here and give us an idea of what it's going to be like to go through six weeks. My guest, Jay Richards, Eat Fast Feast. Heal your body while feeding your soul. It's a Christian guide to fasting. I'm Al Cresta. 
Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by GIFMRD sponsor, Pat Kelly Schaefer, who's celebrating the first birthday of her grandson, Simon Schaefer. He's a delightful bundle of joy and brings lots of laughter to our lives. Simon and his two brothers fill me with so much happiness. Bless you on your birthday and blessings throughout the year. Happy birthday, Simon, from all of us here at Ave Maria Radio. If you have a message you want to share, be a day sponsor at 877-288-1077. Four in five college students said they are concerned for their safety while on campus. Did you know once your child turns 18, you're no longer legally recognized by hospitals to make critical care decisions? Without the proper protective documents, you may even be denied access to your child's information. With My Life Angels, you'll be instantly alerted if they enter an ER with everything you need to ensure they get life-affirming care. MyLifeAngels.com. Use Ave20 and get 20% off your subscription. This is Dr. Henry Russell. St. Augustine's HEP is Michigan's original and authentic Catholic classical liberal arts program, helping families educate for over 17 years. Classical education teaches how everything humans can know fits together in a coherent image of God's universe and how he wants us to live in it. From grades 1 through 12, meeting 1 to 3 days a week, St. Augustine's provides the backbone of true education. Spaces are open at our South Lyon site at St. Joseph's Parish, as well as at Ann Arbor's Old St. Patrick's and Temperance. To learn more, visit staugustineshep.com. That's staugustineshep.com. Or call 734-276-5629. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. St. John Bosco taught his followers that it wasn't enough to stop their students' bad behavior. Good discipline teaches children to want to make choices that please the Lord. If your child is behaving badly, chances are they either don't know how to meet a particular need appropriately, or they don't know how to apply the lessons you've taught them to a new challenging situation. To practice good discipleship discipline, take a moment to find out what your child was trying to do by acting that way. Then teach them healthier, godlier ways to meet that need. Taking this approach will help your kids know that they can count on you to help them be their best when they're feeling and acting their worst. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Craig Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Ave Maria Mutual Funds does not invest in companies engaged in abortion, pornography, embryonic stem cell research, and those making corporate contributions to Planned Parenthood. Ave Maria Mutual Funds has a zero-tolerance policy that helps ensure investments align with moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds may be contacted at 1-866-AVE-MARIA or online at AveMariaFunds.com. A proud sponsor of Ave Maria Radio. 
afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Jay Richards. He is author, most recently, of Eat, Fast, Feast. Heal your body while feeding your soul, a Christian guide to fasting. And uh, some title of it, How Science is Validating an Ancient Practice. So we were talking earlier about the medical benefits of fasting and also the spiritual benefits. And before the break, uh, we were discussing that major world religions do, in their own way, unite prayer and fasting. So uh, I, I'm just curious why that seems to be part of kind of mankind's uh, religious impulse. Any ideas on that? Well, Al, it's funny because the, the church fathers said that fasting was not a command for Christians specifically, but for the entire human race. And so huh. when they would look at Scripture, they noticed there was fasting or at least a kind of abstinence right at the beginning in the Garden of Eden uh, with Adam and Eve. Yeah. And then you go to the end of the Bible in Revelation, uh, you get a feast, the heavenly wedding feast in which the blessed in, in, are, are feasting uh, with the Lamb of God who's slain from the foundation of the world. So they thought, look, this is, this is a universal thing. And so they noticed that the pagan Romans fasted and the Greeks fasted for lots of different reasons. There's a theory about this, and it's, it's basically that the way God designed us was to eat this way, so that we're supposed to eat some of the time, and we're supposed to not eat other parts of the time, which makes sense if you think about the hunter-gatherer stage of human history in which people would have a lot to eat, you know, one week, and then maybe they'd go a week or two and they wouldn't have anything to eat. Mm -hmm. So we'd need to be designed this way. And so the theory is that, well, religions, in some ways, after the agricultural stage, religions uh, sort of in tune with this human reality, structured feasting and fasting into their liturgy as a way of representing and sort of replicating what would have existed at hu earlier times in human history. And so it's only kind of recently that we have completely fallen off of this because no longer is there any necessity to fast, for one thing. We've got food available 24-7. And so right. that's the kind of... You know, it's somewhat speculative, but I generally think that's right. I honestly, having looked at the scientific literature, I think we're actually designed to eat this way, and we, we do better, and we're healthier, actually, when we do this, rather than grazing constantly like we do now. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're a lot fatter today than we were 40 years ago, aren't we? We are, and that's been one of the things, actually, that's led to the, their interest in therapeutic fasting. In fact, the doctor that wrote the foreword to the book, Jason Fung, has a major clinic in uh, Toronto in which he's treating and even reversing type 2 diabetes um, and, and obesity with major fasts. Like mm -hmm. the doctor supervised 7 to 14-day fast to get things started and then a kind of permanent fasting lifestyle. That's actually very, very recent. So the massive increases in type 2 diabetes, and you can track this, and it correlates very directly with an increase in grazing and the increase in the um, just abundance and amount of sugar and uh, foods that immediately become sugar into our diet. They track almost perfectly. Wow. Well, let's uh, walk, walk us through uh, week one. What should we expect? So week one, essentially, I, I suggest eating a ketogenic diet, which means it, it freaks people out if you're a low-fat person. This is going to panic people, but trust right. me, this, this <laughs> That's time, right. natural yeah. fats, right? So avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil, you know, you can eat butter and cream, and just you get a lot of your calories from that. 
you just cut out all the grains and sugars and things that you normally eat. I'm not saying you do this forever, but you need to do it at the beginning. And then just as much protein as you need, but absolutely no more, because that can also affect insulin. So insulin is the hormone that goes up and down that basically tells your body, uh, you know, what to do with the sugars that are in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by doing this, you really just need to do it for a few days. So if you started it, you know, on Ash Wednesday and you went to, to Easter Sunday, that would be enough time to do this. But if you do this for at least three days, uh, you also need to drink a lot of water and need to increase your salt uh, intake because what happens is the first thing that happens when you start eating ketogenically, your body loses a lot of fluid and you can lose some electrolytes. So you bump that up. And this is very similar to what was called the, the induction phase of the, the traditional Atkins diet. It's just very, very low carb and very high fat, moderate protein. Then your body starts getting used to being in ketosis. And once it's doing that, then in the second week, you start narrowing the time window when you eat. So narrow it uh, for the six days, Monday through Saturday, to an eight-hour window. So you eat all your meals in an eight-hour window, which is tough for people that haven't done it, but it's really not that hard because you're eating the same amount. Then the next week, you narrow it to four hours. Then in the, the next week, you just three of the days of that week, you just eat everything you can eat within a one-hour time window, and then 23 hours of your day or in a fasted state. In the next week, three of those days, you just eat a tiny meal, and then in that final sixth week, which if you do it during Lent is going to be during Holy Week, you're now positioned to be able to do a 36 to 72-hour fast, depending on whatever you can handle during the, the, the days of the Triduum, which is was often what happened. So the idea is that you just sort of easy on-ramp uh, to be able to do, to be able to actually develop a, a permanent fasting lifestyle rather than just sort of trying it and dropping it later. Yeah, yeah. Now, so what, what then happens in week two? What's uh, what's characteristic of week two? Week two is when you first narrow the time window in which you okay. eat. So that first week you've gotten your your fat burning system up and running. Week two is the, is the so called sixteen eight. Intermittent fast. So, you know, it just means you've got 24 hours in the day, you're sleeping for part of that, and then you're, the window in which you eat actually really matters. And so if you only eat within an eight hour window, let's say from noon to eight, that's going to mean most of the, most of the day your insulin is going to be low and your body's going to kind of continue adapting to this. Because a lot of what we do, a lot of what we experience as hunger is really just our body being a, a, a habitual. And so if you yeah. eat every four hours, you're going to feel hungry every yeah. four hours. Yeah. So you're really kind of training yourself not to do that, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, again, sugar is one of those things that is uh, just keeps craving more. Uh, so eliminating sugars has been very helpful um, uh, at times for me. And gives me more control over my diet. Uh, week three, uh, what are we looking at? So week, yeah. So week three is you narrow it to a four-hour window, and okay. this is where it sort of starts getting serious. And so the, the idea is not that you just eat a tiny amount. You could, in theory, eat all the food you'd normally eat, uh, but you just do it in a four-hour window. Do that for those six days. And so that's the third week. And then it's not until the fourth week that you do just three of the days you do a one-hour window. So maybe you keep the eight-hour window or the four-hour window yeah. the other days. But at least three of those days, it's basically one big meal a day all at once. Mm. Do, you, do you concern yourself with calories? Well, you don't really have to. You don't focus on calories. And if you continue eating 
ketogenically during this time, which makes this much easier and, and more robust. Um, it's very unlikely you're going to overeat, especially as you start narrowing the window. It's, it's If you eat 3,000 calories a day, that's really hard to do when you get to a, one meal a day and mm-hmm. that into an hour is right. impossible. But the point at this right now is not to reduce the amount of food you eat, but to really train your body uh, to getting used to not eating at lo- during long periods of time. And so then it's finally in the fifth week that at least three of those days you're going to eat a lot less than you normally would. So basically a fourth of the calories you would normally eat. And so it's really not until the fifth week that you have a net reduction uh, in calories over the course of the week. I can say, though, that just this adjustment alone with no change in calories, people generally do lose weight just because of the changing uh, of the metabolism. And yeah. then finally, of course, if you go 36 to 72 hours without eating, uh, that's zero calories during that time. So that's <laughs> that's yeah. the real deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, in fasting, do you, using the, the, the practice that you've outlined here, do you does your metabolism increase? Yeah, this is the amazing thing. And so people, what I thought for years was that if you fasted, that is, if you didn't eat, you would slow down your right. metabolism because that's what happens if you diet. If right. you reduce caloric intake for six weeks at a time, you actually slow down your metabolism. That's why almost everyone that tries this ends up gaining the weight back. Fasting is a totally different physiological process. So if you don't eat at all, uh, what your body does is actually increases the, sort of the energy hormones that it normally uses, so things like norepinephrine, and it increases human growth hormone levels. So, and that's the hormone that preserves your lean muscle mass. So what actually happens in fasting is that your metabolism goes up, uh, and your body preserves lean muscle mass, and we know it does that for three straight days. It keeps going up, and then it starts leveling off, but it takes until the fifth day of a fast for your metabolism to get back to where it was on the first day. And so mm-hmm. fasting and eating and fasting and feasting, that's just a totally different physiological effect than the kind of persistent dieting that we've done for the last half of the 20th century. Interesting, interesting. Now, do you, what about longer fasts? So longer fast, I, it, later in the book, I talk about that. I think that um, there are actual, I, probably spiritual benefits that maybe you only get when you get longer fasts. We know there are physical benefits that require these longer fasts. I don't tell anyone they should do a 40-day fast. That right. sounds crazy, and I think the risk of that is um, enough that you'd want to talk to a doctor. Yeah. But if you have enough okay. extra food energy on your body and you're generally healthy, believe it or not, you can do a 40-day fast, and it's not, it's not going to hurt you. Um, but I, honestly, I think the benefits uh, for most people of doing, you know, a periodic five-day fast, for instance, spread out throughout the year, I think is a lot less risky, and you're getting the same total number of fasts. But I think for most people, look, if we could just get to the stage where we did full fasts on Wednesdays and Fridays, uh, feasted on Sundays, and then did real fast during Advent and Lent. I think I honestly think it would transform us physically and spiritually and transform the body of Christ. And so for, for a select few, they will do long five- to two-week-long fasts, but, you know, that's, that, I think that's for the few, the proud, and the, the, the high endurance. <laughs> yeah. And how, I mean, this sounds fantastic. I'm just wondering, uh, how hard is it to lock into it, though, to make it part of your routine? Well, it's actually, speaking from my own experience, not that hard if okay. you ease into it because it's just like anything. I mean, we're habitual creatures. And so if you're used to doing this, if you're used to say, limiting the window in which you eat on Wednesdays and Fridays, right. you know, really narrow time or not eating at all, 
your body gets used to that. Yeah. Your habits get used to that. You find you have, of course, have a lot more time on that. And I yeah. do think it takes about six weeks for your metabolism to adjust to these things, which happily that's about how long Lent is. And so, yeah, it takes some time to adjust just as it does to any habit. But once it becomes a habit, it's a habit, and you, you're, you're just used to doing it. And so it's really – it's not nearly as daunting, I think, as most most of us believe, just because we've never tried it or never kind of known how to get into it. Yeah. And it's important to keep remembering, too, that we were made for this. I mean, uh, the body has a design to it, and um, – we're operating, uh, you know, I might say the machinery, according to the divine rules, uh, we're going to get better use out of it. Um, what about feasting? Yes, it's feasting, and of course that's the third word in the title. Right. Feasting is a key part of what we call the, the fasting lifestyle. I don't spend as much time on that just because we kind of know how to do that. But <laughs> in all honesty, I really think we lose the meaning of feast when they're not preceded by fast. Because, you know, for most of history, people, in part, in order to have feasts, they didn't have a lot of food available, they would have to cut back on what they're eating in order to have the Christmas goose or whatever it was that they were going to eat. And you really do experience it differently. I'm not just saying you're relieved and excited that pumpkin pie or something. You just, it's a different experience if you have this kind of liturgical pattern in which you really, really have given up a lot of the food that you want to eat uh, for 40 days plus the six mini feasts during Lent, and then you hit Easter Sunday. Um, it's an entirely different thing, and just mm-hmm. as we know we should celebrate feasts together, I think we really are supposed to, to, to do fasting together, and that's yeah. something that I think we've mostly lost. Our corporate fasts are just these little, you know, these tiny little sacrifices that really don't mean that much. Yeah. Well, Jay, thanks so much. This is really exciting, uh, and I'm uh, interested to, you know, work through the book and uh, see what I can do. Thank you. Thank you, Al. Jay Richards, eat fast feast. Heal your body while feeding your soul. It's a Christian guide to fasting. How science is validating an ancient practice. This integrates again uh, the spiritual tradition with good science. Come celebrate the Feast of St. Joseph during the 150th anniversary of Detroit St. Joseph Shrine. On Sunday, March 19th, a conference with Cardinal Burke on St. Joseph will be held at St. John's Resort in Plymouth. And on Monday, March 20th, there will be a day of prayer at the Shrine, including a pontifical mass, outdoor procession, dinner, and more. For the full schedule and to buy conference and dinner tickets, visit stjosephshrined.org. That's stjosephshrined.org. Resetting your password. Unsubscribing from emails. Printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things, like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you.
Crest in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization, Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 75% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Well, thank you so much. It's good being with you. And again, ask you to continue to spread the word about what we're doing here at Crest in the Afternoon and actually the continued expansion of the world of Catholic radio. And uh, you can follow up on our conversations today by going to AveMariaRadio.net. Go to the Crested Guest Archives there, where you'll get more information on, uh, again, uh, being spiritual but not religious. I have follow-up information on the Red Rose Mass, which is a week from tomorrow in the Diocese of Lansing. And uh, certainly getting prepared for the Gospel reading of this coming Sunday, John chapter 4, and the famous encounter of Jesus with the Samaritan woman. And then we've got follow-up information on fasting, both penitential and for healing. I'm Al Cresta. Thanks for being with me, and stay tuned now for Catholic Answers Live, equipping you to share the faith effectively. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio, and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net. You're listening to Ave Maria Radio. Ave Maria Radio. Hi, Vanessa Denhagarmo here, inviting you to tune into Epiphany. We're made to praise God and celebrate our faith. I want to encourage listeners to connect, communicate, and collaborate with the faith community. Life is a journey, and along the way we have those Epiphany moments that bring us closer to Christ. Please partner with me and celebrate the diversity of our Catholic Church. Epiphany. Weekdays at noon, only on Ave Maria Radio. On the next Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. We'll keep you closely connected to the faith with the latest from Rome, the front lines of the pro-life movement, and we'll also take a look at other crucial issues facing you and your family in our one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Catholic Connection, weekday mornings at 8 a.m. on 990 WDEO. This is Life News Radio. I'm Jim Anderson. Members of Congress embracing unlimited and tax-funded abortions are again seeking passage of a bill nicknamed the Abortion Without Limits Up to Birth Act. The bill ignores recent polling. A January Marist poll shows almost 70% of Americans want abortions banned or limited. 60% oppose tax dollars paying for abortion. 
Arizona's new attorney general has refused to defend pro-life law restricting gender and disability-based abortions. Alliance Defending Freedom won a federal court order Wednesday allowing Arizona legislative leaders to defend the law. Abortions targeting disability or gender are patently eugenic. This is Life News Radio. A culture of life has a rarely mentioned but very formidable enemy. 